You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 132nd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm excited to continue the conversation about self-discovery with my guest, William Freeman. I have known William for over a decade now, as we are both on the cadre of speakers for the Department of Defense and the Yellow Ribbon Reunification Program for the Military. William Freeman is a humorous, witty, intentional speaker. He has been a professional speaker for over a decade and loves to talk about stress management and effective communication. William is a two-time military veteran, having served in the Air Force and Army. William's goal is to help people change through intrinsic motivation and bring humor to those who need a more lighthearted life. William received his bachelor's degree in psychology and religion, a master's in diplomacy, and a master's certification in public administration. I am super excited to share him with you today on this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, William. Thank you, Kim. Good to be here. And may I say, thank you for your sacrifice. I know what it is. I haven't served in the military myself, but I do know the sacrifice that you all have endured. So thank you for that. Thank you. How do men look at the concept of self-care? I think there are some differences between men and women in that department. What would you say? It depends on the generation you're looking at. If you look at my generation, we probably would go to the gym or we go throw some weights around or we may go out to a bar drinking or we may just go hunting or something outdoors. That's that's how self-care. Maybe today's generation, these young guys, now they're getting into like massages and spas and different things like that and still peppered in with some weight training and some outdoor activities. But we're beginning to identify more that men are beginning to see more self-care and what used to be, quote unquote, a feminine thing. They're beginning to understand that it's not just a feminine thing to go get a full massage or facial, it's okay to get a manicure. That's self-care also and incorporating with their other lifestyles that they do. What do you think is making that change? Social media. I think that a lot of things we see on TV, I think that breaking down the old school paradigm of what's manly, what's feminine, I think we're beginning to see more men, especially, like I said, these influencers on TikTok or any kind of platform are beginning to make it okay. They're beginning to normalize what we would think taboo. You're beginning to see more men becoming more comfortable with it. And of course, their wives, partners, girlfriends are are now bringing them along. And I think some of the school of old who've been married for years, they get dragged to a mani-pedi all the time. So they're, they're okay with it. Like, oh yeah, we do that all the time. He's like, you do that? And you would never think it, but yeah, they get theirs too. So I think we're normalizing and I think that we're beginning to see them being okay with it. What do you see as the benefit of that? Men, we tend to hold a lot more stress in and we tend to have very different outlets that we consider stress. And so we begin to see lifestyles, high blood pressure, strokes, heart attacks, these working 80 hour week days and trying to quote unquote, take care of the household. It's not benefiting because they're making the money and providing for their families or whatever. However, their bodies are taking a hit for it and not being able to communicate when there's stress not having an outlet also is indicative the body does an outward expression of what you're inwardly keeping in. We're beginning to get more education on like what you're doing and what we've been doing for years, especially in a high intense military environment. We're beginning to get more of these lessons to find ways to release that stress. And that's what's normalizing those things a lot more. You mentioned communication. Would you say that effective communication is something that can ultimately alleviate stress? Sure. Why not? (laughs) Well, 
men, we grunt when we talk sometimes, not to stereotype the most of us. If we have to use the V word, which is vulnerability, we may feel like somebody we're cursing. And so we don't want to use that word. Effective communication is so key because it really helps you identify what's going on. A lot of times men, we typically will say, oh, I'm fine. And what's fine and what comes out on the other end is leakage, as we say in psychology. Communication, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we don't do a good job of expressing how we're feeling. One of those reasons is because we're not really sure how we're feeling and we don't have time to get into our feelings. So we just move on and compartmentalize until it's not compartmentalized anymore. Then when we hit a wall, then all of a sudden we start communicating after the fact that spill on aisle nine, now we have a cleanup and we could have <laughs> prevented that had we had some preventive measures and some tools in place to identify those things before we got there. Those are the things why communication is important. I think women are eons ahead of us in those areas. However, social media has also taken another turn when it comes to communicating also. So it makes it different even when how we communicate now, whether we communicate verbally or through a text message, anyone we use, now we have more tools how we can communicate. Yeah, I like that. And I would also concur that effective communication on both sides can really alleviate a lot of stress. And a lot of times it's communication that can cause stress, right? If it's miscommunicated or misunderstood, it can create a stress that lasts between two people for a long, long time. So I like the idea of developing good communication and an understanding of one's feelings and then the ability to communicate that to the people that are important to you. So you don't have leakage and spills in aisle nine. Yeah. Yeah. I could see prevention would be worth a pound of cure, as they say. And Kim, I also like to say with communication with men, it's important that the partner, whoever they're dealing with, can sometimes empathize. I think that a lot of times with communication, men, we don't trust. So if it's our spouse, partner, girlfriend, whatever, once we share, we have to have a safe place. So a lot of times if a man is expressing his feelings, and especially when they're fully open their heart to a person or their friends or, or somebody, they're confident, the worst thing we can do, and I think it would happen on both sides, is throw back or disregard the communication that they're sharing from their heart and to minimize it or to bring it back up when there's an opportunity to come back at them in a negative perspective that can also shut down communication where once we open up and once that trust is violated in that sense and sharing, it will never come back out again. So the partner or the friends, whoever are dealing with the person, we have to manage that person's feelings with kit gloves, depending on the type of communication and also the type of experiences that we've had. And sometimes that can play a big role in how we effectively communicate. I completely agree with that. And as a person who does a lot with communication in couples, I know that sometimes a woman has challenges when a man becomes vulnerable because we women, you may have noticed, I know this is stereotypical and I'm not trying to paint a broad brush. There certainly are ex no. you know, exceptions to this, but as a general rule, we women have a lot of nuances and I call them lines between what we say, right? We say one thing, but we really mean another. And right. so when our man says, something that is heartfelt and deep. We're looking for the lines and there may not be lines. And the so line. when we look for those lines, we sometimes disregard the gift that we just got put in our hands from our partner. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Thank you for that. What do you think he meant? Exactly. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. And it works in reverse too, because men yeah. take us at our word. And that's not what we meant. When you yeah. say, where do you want to go tonight? And we say, oh, I don't know, whatever you want to do. That's not what we mean. 
we know where oh, we want to go and we want you to guess. No, <laughs> it's crazy. This is for you. This is really for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's go here. Well, I don't really want to go there. I said, so is this for me? <laughs> no, it's for you. But really, I want to be a part of it and benefit from it. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of work that can be done in the area of effective communication for sure on both sides. And Absolutely. just because women talk twice as much as a man in a day doesn't mean that our communication is more effective. We just talk more. Right. We could, right, right. We could communicate more and talk less, yeah. which is something I, I, I think might help in some situations. Absolutely. We've talked about self-care. We've talked about being still and knowing what your feelings are. What do you have to say about meditation? Is that something you use and how would that help someone in their work or their home life? It's become a fashionable thing now, but sages have been doing it for centuries. And I think we are beginning to understand a lot more about quietness and being still. I personally was diagnosed with anxiety. And I think that sometimes when you know this, you have a peak when stress hits you. And at some point in time, the brain has to come down. If it stays in fight or flight too long, that's anxiety induced and it stays there. And I was one of those people. And so I had to learn and I had to go through a psychotherapist to understand what it looked like. Self-care was also learning how to be quiet. I had to learn how to quiet my brain. It was the most daunting and scariest thing to quiet your brain and to not move. It was like one of the trial things. I thought, this is easier than, this is harder than golf. And um, (laughs) I I sat there quietly for two minutes and I was fidgety as if somebody took something away from me. I was looking for the phone. I was hoping somebody would text me so I could stop. But then I started learning how to just be quiet. And then when I learned how to start being still, my mind started having flashbacks from 1977. I'm like, what the heck? is going on because then I had to learn how to recenter my mind. And I learned when I first started doing it, it took me about 10, 15 minutes to actually quiet my mind. And then when I started to learn how to do it within seven minutes and then five minutes, and then sometimes now I can sit down and just go right into it. And what I started learning why meditation is important, because things that you wouldn't think about start to now make sense. Your body starts to calm down. The breathing technique starts to be better. All of a sudden you start to, your your anxiety starts to come down. Blood pressure even came down. Very important in holistically looking at self-care, better communication, which reduces the, the stress. And then also being able to take all the stress and being able to release it somewhere and through your breathing techniques and quieting your mind so you can get some clarity about things that you could never do. That was one thing. And also with a lot of sleep. Mm, when you say a lot of sleep, can you quantify that? What is a good amount of sleep for you? Realistically, I do about four or five hours. But typically the body needs about six to, I would say six to eight hours. I can do six and be fully alert and do well. Scientifically, I think they're looking at uh, six to to eight hours of sleep is what's needed. And I think that, you know, Kim, we've done these audiences, the military audience is the most interesting audience because of the lifestyles and the the demands. And most of the time when I sit in front of those audiences, I say, how many of you guys are getting less than four hours of sleep? Out of a hundred people, probably about about 50% of them say they, they get less than about five or four hours of sleep every night. Can you imagine that on top of the, whatever their stress is and not sleeping, not even meditating because they don't have time, especially if they have two or three kids and then trying to function throughout a day and they're not rested. So you can imagine what kind of communication comes out of somebody being tired, not focused, and also not able to handle stress. Yeah, I can imagine. It's not a good combination. Stress, no sleep. The stress causes less sleep. The less sleep, the more stress. It becomes this downward spiral that's really hard to get out of. And the eating, you start eating sugars and caffeine. 
then the body goes to a false sugar high and then that destroys the body and the body is not healthy anymore either because now you're not feeding it the nutrients that it needs. And so you have this holistic part, like you said, we're spiraling out over time. And let's not forget the alcohol as the downer to try to help you sleep. And then the more you drink, the less likely you're going to have good sleep. You might fall asleep earlier, but you'll be awake in the middle of the night, (laughs) not feeling well. Yeah. There's so many bad habits out there that we can use and there's no lack of people around us to find who will share with us some of their own bad habits. It's unusual to get more of this good habit advice. That's what you've received. That's what you've put into place. That's what you talk to other people about. Trying to reduce the bad habits and increase the good ones will help anyone on the journey of self-discovery. Right. And it's not an overnight success. I talk about humor a lot because I laugh at myself and I tell people how crazy certain things that I do, how they sound, but also I stop being so hard on myself. I talk about 1% change, change 1% every day of something. That way you're not so overwhelmed trying to make this big block change, but take incremental changes over time and start from there. And if you fall back, at least you're still so many percentages ahead where you were maybe a month ago. I also say, laugh at yourself. Don't take yourself so serious. Just get back on and keep walking. I love that. It reminds me of a book I read a while ago called Kaizen, and that's a Japanese word for baby step. And they talk about you have to do the baby steps to sneak past your fear. Because when you look at big changes, it can immobilize us. We can be scared about that. But those baby steps, we can do baby steps around any kind of fear and get to the other side. So I really like that. I imagine that part of the stress that you might deal with, I hear this from many in my military audiences, are difficult people. How do you manage the difficult people in your life? Or don't you have any of those? Oh, yeah. I have difficult people. (laughs) I've had them. I've worked with them. Not that anybody has not dealt with difficult people or family members. Once you learn how to work with yourself, and again, this has taken me years, and I've been doing this. Kim, I started this over a decade ago speaking, and I started paying attention to my own advice about five years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what you think about is how much time do you spend getting yourself in a peaceful state and how quick somebody can wreck it? Just like for those of us who go to the gym, you get beat up for an hour or half an hour or 50 minutes with your trainer and you're laying on the floor trying to breathe because your cardio sucks. But then you eat a burger (laughs) that is 1500 calories and you start thinking about, wow, I just spent that much time dying in the gym and I'm going to eat this burger, which is counterintuitive for what I'm trying to achieve. With that, you look at how much time do you spend to get peace within yourself and what can we do when you deal with difficult people to remove that energy away from you? I look at people like energies. We talked about meditation earlier. When you meditate, you become more sensitive and hypersensitive to your surroundings and you become more sensitive to energies. When we talk about an anger management, Kim, in our classes we teach, we teach people the tools not to hit the wall. We teach tools how to take the tools out before you hit the wall. So when I see difficult people coming, I already know what kind of people they are. I need to know how I can de-escalate and remove myself from them quickly. And also, some of us know people that are just ready to explode on the least little thing. If you know that, why do you engage them? De-escalate yourself. Just remove yourself quickly. Keep your peace. If they do get you to a point where they are difficult, whether in communication or a snide comment or one of those passive aggressive people, y'all don't know anything about those. You were professionals. You (laughs) catch them and you remove yourself and you take a deep breath so you don't choke them out. Right? (laughs) That's why the breathing taking a deep breath and breathe out, take a deep breath, do it as long as you can to you can calm yourself down and then come back accordingly and then re-engage a little bit differently. 
because people sometimes are waiting for you to respond to them in the way that they know of you, how you would normally react. Mm -hmm. Give them what they're not expecting. Right. And Kim, the other part, last I'll say to that is those of us who are in professional fields, we are getting sound bites every day. You getting influences that are recording you. People record you. You don't even know why that you're being recorded. If you're in public and doing that, somebody said, oh my God, is that the person on the TV? You're being recorded. So you also got to think about what's that going to look like if you lose your stuff in public and somebody's recording it and it gets on YouTube and it goes viral. So you also have to learn that you're never, especially in our fields, we're never isolated. We're always a public entity when people are watching us. And so you learn also how to conduct yourself accordingly. That's right. I also find on my end for difficult people, because sometimes I have to counsel difficult people. Sometimes they're part of my family. You can't just ignore them sometimes. Sometimes you have to manage your own feelings about them. And I find when you try to understand what's driving them, it can give you a level of compassion that you don't have when you think they're doing it to you. It's almost never personal. It's right. personal to them. And if I can remember that, it's not about about me. It's about them. What somebody says about me says more about them than it does about me. Then I can be a little bit more compassionate and a little more forgiving and give a little more grace. Right. Um, so that's just another avenue for dealing with difficult people if you can't get away from them or if you choose not to for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. You talked about the changes that you make not being an overnight success. So I'm wondering, how do you measure success? I get on a scale every morning to see that I've gained two pounds and I lost three pounds and I gained four pounds. <laughs> <Go back. laughs> the roller coaster um, ride. Yeah, success to me. You know what? I think that when I am able to recognize when I'm getting to a place where I'm stressed, where I'm being short or I'm being irritated, when I'm learning how to measure quicker what I'm saying. And if I don't get it right to say, hey, listen, I didn't speak to you correctly. I just want to apologize to you. Wow. Hey, this is what's going on with me. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry for the tone. So can you forgive me? And I'm learning that more, how to do that. And the more I do that, I reflect more of catching myself even more how not to do that. That's how I measure success in that arena. When anxiety hits me on certain things, I get perspective. Because a lot of the fear and anxiety we get is about things that we can't control or things we don't know that's in front of us. And so we flip out over something that's not even there. And I learned how to just sit back and realize that everything works for good yeah. and just take a deep breath and let it come as it comes and then deal with the situation as it comes up. To your point earlier, being able to communicate effectively and say, this scares me. Guys, especially to your partners, it's okay to say I'm scared when this happens. So I measure my success as me now not holding it in. But to be able to say, I'm scared and to watch that person just melt and say, oh, my God, he's vulnerable. The response that you get back sometimes, it's more of a reward for me compared to the person that I'm with shutting down. And it's like, I can't have this conversation because he doesn't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so I love that. It sounds like the way to measure success, if I understand what you're saying, is to know what you're trying to accomplish and to measure progress towards that accomplishment, not perfection. In 12-step programs, they say progress, not perfection, right? Right. 
And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. Coupled with, it has to be some honest, brutal self-reflection. And you know, I maybe want to take back brutal. I don't think it should be brutal. I think that was a bad choice of words because I think we're very good at being brutal with ourselves. It's just honest, caring self-reflection might be a better way to put it. That you have to be still with yourself and think about where did I do well and where do I need to make some adjustments and where do I need to issue some apologies. Everything that you've said has really tied all together to knowing yourself, trusting yourself, having a goal, improving yourself, making small baby steps and constantly evaluating the progress that's being made and recognizing the progress and getting back up and starting over again when you have a setback without a lot of self-punishment. Yeah. And one of the hardest ones that people have, especially I will speak for just men, but I'm sorry to share women the same way, having the friend named Kim say, hey, Kim, I need you to give me some feedback about myself. Boy, (laughs) this society's not ready for that. And if your friends are worth their salt, take a deep breath, clench yourself, clench to the chair. They're going to be honest and tell you. But when they tell you, don't get mad. Show me your perspective. How do I get better? And your friends who see you like the Johari's window they see you. Don't be upset when they tell you the truth, but be happy that they're beginning to share with you the truth about you so that you can even become better than what you were. That's how I measure it also. Getting friends that are brutally honest and being able to ask them the hard questions. And are you mature enough to take notes and say, thank you for telling me that. How do I work on this? Can you coach me on some areas how I can get better? Help me see it from that perspective that way. And I've done that and I still do that. And that's how I've gotten better as well. I really love that, but I would want to add one little thing. And that is that sometimes our friends see us through their lenses and what they're seeing may not really be accurate. So I think we need to know ourselves well enough to know what advice we need to take and what advice we need to say, thanks. I appreciate you sharing that. But then it doesn't feel right to you that you don't take action on that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That is sometimes the truth. Like I said, sometimes we're in different spaces. I think your friends are still human and they filter things differently. I've had to take some hard truths and some things didn't fit with me, but some things they did. And so I took the good and the bad and, and I made the pivots. And now that I'm much healthier doing that. That's awesome. Awesome. I am so glad to hear your story. This is going to be great for the audience as well. People will be able to get some good tips on what they can do on their journey to knowing themselves better and making improvements. Thanks so much for that, William. Do you have anything you'd like to add other than what we've already talked about? You know, as everything is happening in our society, whether internationally or all the different injustices that are happening in the world, our local governments, our workplaces, our health issues, the COVID, polio, everything that's happening, I would just tell your audience, just limit yourself to the news, what you see and what you read, understand what's going on around you, but also be careful what you take in subconsciously. A lot of times the stress comes in to what we take in and you don't realize that subconscious, you take more information negative in than you're actually looking at. Also, limit yourself on social media. Some of us are just way too active in social media. And then again, there, you're taking in a lot of negative subconscious things that you're not even paying attention to, especially if you have self-esteem issues and things like that. And somebody looks a certain way that you want to look and you look at yourself and you start feeling down. Stop looking at that stuff. Take time and love yourself. Love yourself for who you are. And then once you've done that, you can look at these things objectively. Like you said, Kim, you can have a better self awareness or the self-actualization of who you really are and you're supposed to be when you were born on this earth. Yeah, I love that. We all have our purpose, don't we? Absolutely. Well, William, how could people reach you for more information if anybody wants to talk with you more about your journey or maybe help on their journey? 
Sure. They can always email me at wfreeman4 at gmail.com, or they can contact me at 717-418-7484 if they need to get in touch with me. Great. I'll put that in the show notes so people can get that and reach out if they have the desire to. Thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you joining us today, William. It's been so wonderful discussing these topics for the audience to consider when embarking on their own self-discovery journeys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kim, for having me. It's good to be a friend of yours for over a decade. It's been a pleasure and I love what you're doing. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Soika White, a man on his own journey to self-discovery. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget... Remember to subscribe.